Father, thank you, Lord, for every dollar that's sown into this house. Lord, the dollars that are taken up in the bags, those that are given online, those that are given through direct bank deposit, those that use the app, all that sort of stuff, God, we just thank you that, Lord, you've given us the ability to be able to give. You've given us the capacity to be able to be generous. Father, we just want to be a generous people. We want to be a people that have a heart after your own heart, that, Lord, more and more with ever-increasing glory, we would become... uh, I guess, shaped and moulded into the image of Jesus. So we thank you, God, for even this time of worship and our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Sam. Or Samuel. You first Samuel, don't you? It is what it is. Anyway, um, hey, it's so nice to be back after being in ISO. Um, isolation is really fun. Uh, I eat more. Um, like I eat more. <laughs> Mel gets sick, doesn't eat. I'm like, what? Well, is there more food? Where's the food? You just ate. You can't keep eating. Oh no, I can. Watch me. <laughs> so it's nice to be out of ISO. Um, took Nathan to his football game for under 15s yesterday. He's been on camp all week. So the kids escaped isolation. They were re- really fortunate. And he plays a game wearing his brother Samuel's number from last year, the number that Samuel tore up the world, you know, and did all these amazing feats. Anyway, Nathan wears his brother's jumper yesterday and kicks four goals too. So I reckon that was pretty exciting for him, you know. Like he's just taken it in his stride. Oh, yeah, but one of them was, uh, was easy. They just handballed to me, you know. Like, but it was so cool to watch him. Um, anyway, a proud dad moments, you know, living out my dreams through my children. Paying my um, mortgage at home when Samuel makes the AFL. That's the plan. <laughs> um, I, I want to keep going with the thought of worship and presence. I spoke about um, the importance of his presence two weeks ago and Ray shared really lovingly last week about how important it is that people even know how to step into the presence of God. And there's one thing that I know that there is no need that we have that can't be met in his presence. Yeah, And so... Today, if you wanted to call today anything, I've actually called it, um, I wanted to give it a message, a name, it's called I Will Sing. <laughs> and I love, I love the thought of singing. And I've shared before here at this church that when I was in America, I visited a church that's um, it's marketed for men. It, it's twen- back then, it was 20 plus thousand people. They opened a new church, a new campus, and in its first year had a thousand people. And they marketed it to men. All of its marking the material doesn't have women with prams. It has men playing sports, stuff like that. You go out, and they've got an outdoor area that's probably um, the size of our auditorium and they had like eight or ten TV screens that were all playing different sports so that during the service you could go out and watch it. It is focused on men. But there's one particular thing that they shared with us that when it came to their worship, their singing, they limited it to, like, I'm serious, like 12 minutes, 13 seconds, you know, 11 minutes, 15 seconds, depending on the songs, no more, no less. Whatever it was scheduled for, that was all that they allowed because men don't like to sing. <laughs> men don't like to sing. I don't think everyone's ever been to the soccer in Europe. You know, Wembley Stadium, where they start with the men, the Liverpool supporters start singing, you know, Beatles songs. 
you know, like men singing. Like men love to sing, they just need to discover the reason for their singing. <laughs> um, and we as, an, as a church, I think, love our worship. And most of us have heard our vocabulary and language over the years about being open, honest and vulnerable. There's a, but there's a part of worship that we miss unless we're vulnerable. It's a part of worship that we miss unless we're actually prepared to bear our soul before the Lord. And um, that song today, Gratitude, really captures that. And so I want to build on that today in the time that I've got. And I'm going to look at Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is a, it's a contemplation. It's written by Ethan. Um, and really what I'm going to do is jump off the first two verses to start with. So Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. Uh, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. Forever. <laughs> so forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. Did you see that? Did you, did you catch that? With my mouth. Not with my hands. Yeah. I mean, there's multiple ways of worshipping. But with my mouth, particularly with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. I love that the Psalms, and like the whole Bible, I'm glad that it's not just, not just one devotional book, but there's a lot of different authors, yeah? And when I spoke a couple of weeks ago, we discovered that David wrote almost half the Psalms. Yeah, 70, in fact, 73, if I remember right. Uh, and so we capture his influence throughout all of the Psalms. That's why the Psalms have such a similar feel to them, I think, because he's had his influence on all, all those that have written the Psalms. But this guy, Ethan, they say that it might be the same man. <laughs> I can never pronounce it. Um, Jadathan. Jadathan. That'll do. Jadathan. And he wrote four other Psalms. They suggest that he's the same person that wrote this. But one thing that we capture just from the start is that it's obvious he's a, a man of faith, but he's also a man of contemplation. And so we're going to contemplate today singing to the Lord. We're going to contemplate today praising. Because if anything, what this Psalm shows us is that praise in itself, it's actually intelligent. It's smart. It, it's not just singing to the Lord. It's full of thought. It's it's full of truth. And, and when we praise, when we sing like we did this morning, when we worship, we actually praise with not just our hearts, but we, we actually engage with our hearts and our minds in worship. It's both. There's an intelligence to praise. There's an intelligence to worship. And this psalm, this is a, a, a majestic psalm. It's a, it's a kingly psalm. And when we looked at the psalm, uh, two weeks ago, there was a story in it about the temple and David and Solomon. But the story in this is actually the kingship of David. It, it, it's the story of hope. It, there's a, a story of God's promise. That's what psalm, this psalm actually gives us. And it actually also gives us the discouragement along the way. They've got this wonderful promise, and I, and I hope to paint the picture, but it's this discouragement that comes along the way, yet it paints a picture of a future full of hope. Yeah, And the truth is, whatever you and I are going through and whatever's going on in the world around us, we praise the Lord because we're singing to Him, yeah? not to the situations around us. You know, the background of this psalm, you, we've got to jump into 2 Samuel 7, 6 because there's a biblical promise that's happening that they're talking about here. And 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, I should say, reads, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Yeah? Now, 
that theme is found throughout the Psalms. The context, though, with that as a context, the, the problem that we have is that there's a problem. <laughs> there's actually a problem to that. So we've got to look at some verses that show, show that often our praise is going to be surrounded by trouble. It has to be. We, we have to be a people that learn how to praise. You know, um, we, we have to be a people that learn to unmute. And we have to be able to praise in difficult times. We have to be able to praise through the midst of trials. We've got to be able to, to pray when there's a crisis in our faith. And, and really, as you read that psalm, there's a crisis of faith almost for this psalmist. You know, but there's also this confidence in, in God as well. So the first thing we've got to establish and point out is that you've got the Davidic covenant, the promise that God gave to David that his throne would last forever, right? That, that's actually called the Davidic covenant. He promises that the throne of David will reign forever. The covenant, that's the theme that runs through the Bible, and it runs through all the way. If you read from Genesis all the way through to Maps, you'll actually get that all the way through, right? That David's throne is supposed to last forever all the way through, yeah? God makes these promises and in the midst of problems, he's still able to keep his promise. Now, we can look, step, step back and look and say, yes, it's true. But imagine having a promise and being in the midst of the trouble, not knowing how it's going to play out. There has to be a trust that we lay somewhere right to the very end. See, David is a king who grows and matures well past the maturity of Saul. He's a heart for God, he's a warrior, he's a psalmist, he's, he's a conqueror. I mean, this guy's it in a bit. He's a worshipper, he's king. And this is about the durability of the house of God, of, of David. The second thing that the psalm points out, that during this time, yeah, that things are going really bad, that stuff's not just playing out the way it should. Spurgeon actually writes about this passage, and he writes this, this is the utterance of the believer in the presence of great national disaster, pleading with his God, urging the grand argument of covenant engagements and expecting deliverance and help because of the faithfulness of Jehovah. So he's in trouble. He's pleading with God about the promise that he has, yeah? expecting God to come through because he's Jehovah. Yeah. That, if anything, should be the way that we deal with everything in life, no matter what's going on. I've got this promise from God. At the moment, it feels like someone's flushing it down the toilet multiple times, <laughs> using a plunger as well. But, yeah, it's good. It's only, it only sinks in when it gets graphic. When you get a picture, it sticks, right? So now we can go to God and say, because you're Jehovah, in a moment, said, I know you can still pull my promise out and bring it to pass. I know you can. You are the only one that can still do that. So there's a problem. The blessing is that the house of David shall last forever. The problem is that it's going wrong. And, and it's going wrong because there's problems in David's own life that we can't ignore. It, 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 the passage of Scripture that we read in 2 Samuel, if you jump forward you know, uh, further on a couple, of, a couple of chapters, this is where David really stuffs up with Bathsheba, does all his stuff, goes out when the women are out because he knows they're out. Like, this is premeditated sin, right? He just didn't happen to be on the roof. Oh, look, there's a naked woman. No, no. He knew as king that at that time of day, they would be out in force. So he, he went, 
for a, what's that TV show, Goggle, Goggle You or something? Goggle box. He went out for his own little goggle box. Yeah, that's what he went out for. Smack in the middle of this. So he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He murders Uriah, the Hittite. If you read Psalm 51, you get all of his heart. You get his penitence. You get his, his sorry. You get his confession. And then still, if that's not enough of a problem in the midst of, hey, your throne's going to reign forever, then he decides to call a census. So I don't know how many of you know the story, but it's it's a mystery to us all because David decides he wants to count all of his fighting men to know exactly how many he has. And and, and his buddy and pal Joab was shocked and says, don't do this, David, this is not right. I don't quite understand why it's not right or why it's not wrong. Maybe it's showing a lack of faith. But Joab's saying, don't do it, don't count the fighting men. And David's going, I'm going to quite count the fighting men. I want to know how many I have. It takes him 10 months. That's how long the census took. 10 months for him to find out, right, all of his fighting men. And what happens when he does that? The judgment of God comes upon the land. Totally. Somehow, David is still king. Somehow, David still survives. And somehow, David was forgiven. And then his kingship's passed on to Solomon, who's proclaimed king. Now, he does a good job. He builds a temple. He's got this extraordinary wisdom. But then Solomon himself, problems still start to backslide. Remember, this is the throne that's supposed to last forever. right? He starts to backslide. Women, idols. And, and there's this painful transition of leadership from, from Solomon to Rehoboam. It, it, it's just like it's falling apart. And you know, you know, like Chinese whispers, starts really strong, but as you get along, you know, the statement's all but lost. It's like that. It's like it's getting watered down, the kingship of David that's supposed to last forever as it's going along. And so now you've got Rehoboam who tries to change everything, totally insensitive to how people feel. Like often, I'm thinking now this is going to be such a bad joke, Mel's watching at home. Sometimes she thinks I could be more sensitive well, maybe you should read about Rehoboam. I'm really sensitive. You know, like, bad joke, I oh, know. Keep going, just leave it alone. She's not here to defend herself. So Rehoboam does all this stuff, and then he, he, he loses, Rehoboam loses the throne to Jeroboam, and now the kingdom is divided. Yeah, the kingdom is now split. And it's somewhere along this journey that all, of all these things going wrong that Psalm 89 is written. Smack in the middle of that dung heap. Psalm 89 is written. This psalm of contemplation. Lord, we're thankful for the promise. We're still believing in the promise. But right now, things are looking really pear-shaped. And the truth is, you and I, all of us, and those that are listening at home, we can all actually relate to that. When we've got a promise of God, we're still believing in the promise of God. But when we look at our world and all the stuff that's happening around us, Sometimes stuff just looks like it's going all pear-shaped, doesn't it? Somewhere, somehow, the wheels look like they're falling off. You know, I'm going to try to squeeze a whole bunch of stuff in the next 15 minutes because this psalm, there's 52 verses of this psalm. So when we're going through psalms and trying to preach about psalms, think of it like this. Psalm 189 largest psalm that's like an opera okay psalm 23 that we know and love that's like a song 
But this Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 89, this is 52 verses. This is like, this is the album. <laughs> this, is the whole, this is the whole album, not just one song. And, and so I'm going to try to squeeze that into our normal time. So we're going to jump to verse 39. So just follow me as we go. And, and I guess we almost have to grab hold of the speech of the psalmist as he writes this because it, it, it kicks off and it's quite blunt around verse 39. And verse 39 reads, You have renounced the covenant with your servant and you've defiled his crown in the dust. So this is serious. This is the kingly crown that's now in the dust that's supposed to reign forever. Yeah? You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbours. It's not just referring to one king. It's referring to all the kings. Because everyone that stepped into that throne, there was a, there was a piece of David still there. Yeah? So David's kingship is symbolic with every king. And now it's saying, you know, they've, they've become, he's become a scorn to his neighbours. Verse 42, you've exalted the right hand of the foes. You've made all the enemies rejoice. Indeed, you've turned back the edge of the sword and you've not supported him in battle. So Israel is losing. You've put an end to his splendor, cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You've covered, you've covered him with a mantle of shame. And then verse 47 seems to be this passionate question. In the midst of all of that, he writes, remember how fleeting. It's almost like he's praying for revival. Remember how fleeting is my life for what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your, now, revival. Lord, where is your former great love? Where's the things that I've experienced before? Where's the stuff that I've heard about? Lord, where is your former great love, which is in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember? Remember his throne? You said that it was going to last and reign forever. I think this summarizes the problem a bit. Remember, Lord, verse 50, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Can you see that we've got a bit of a problem here, right? There's a little bit of a problem. It's a psalm of praise. It begins with praise. It ends with praise. The praise is in the middle. And yet we know that there's a problem because psalms, if anything, capture real life. Yeah? And if we're going to top and tail our lives with anything, it should be praise. Regardless of what happens inside here. Praise at the beginning, praise in the middle, praise at the end. It really doesn't matter. You know, praising God doesn't mean that everything's fine. That would be nuts, wouldn't it? <laughs> that we have no problems in life and that everything's cool. You know what I love about this church? Maybe because I pastored, I don't know. You know what I love about this church? That we're real about the pain. That we're real about the journey. That we're real about the stuff that we go through. That we're real about the grieving in the morning. You know what I don't like about churches? Maybe because I don't pastor them that they're not real about the pain, they're not real about the journey. You've got to fake it till you make it, and life's good because you, you have Jesus. Yes, life is good because we have Jesus. But if one of my children dies, I still have Jesus. It doesn't mean I go around skipping, yeah? 
But in him, with his strength, I can still praise him in my mourning, in my pain, in my heartache, yeah? Christians don't have an, and we shouldn't have a naive view of the world. We should have a really strong understanding of the frailty of what it is to be human. And also understanding that there's a judgment that comes that, for people that don't know him. Thank you that we, we sit under a different judgment, yeah? Well, not, we're not doing heaven or hell. He's just going to sit with us and say, hey, you know that stuff you said? That was really good. That's awesome. That's a decent sort of a judgment, I reckon, that we're going to face. But in amongst all of this confusion and pain, you and I have to believe that God can still put things right. You know, the third thing that the psalm leads us to is that there's a reason to praise. There's always a reason to praise. There's always a reason to praise. Always a reason to praise. I don't understand when people say things like, sing too much, you worship too much, you praise too much, share about your problems too much. I never have to say there's a front door. They seem to find it on their own. Yeah? They do. They go, oh, we're out of here. But why? We loved you. Was there too much love? Wait, come back. Oh, well, they're going to where they're not loved, I suppose. I don't know, right? I don't get why people come and go from any house, any church. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But when you've discovered the love of God, when people around you actually open, honest, and they're genuine, and you've been vulnerable, and you've allowed them into your space, they've allowed you into theirs, there's never a time where praising him is too much. There's never a time where worshipping him is too much. There's never a time where someone should say, we're still singing that song. We sang that line for 15 minutes. And you know what? We're going to sing it for another 15. <laughs> Why? Because it's not for you. It's for him. For all that's happening, there's always a reason to pray. You know, you've got this covenant, this promise, this stuff that's going wrong, but there's always a reason to praise. And I love the fact that, yes, people will say, but we're in a new covenant with Jesus. Amen. Yes, we are. Glory to God. We don't have all that Old Testament baggage. That's true. Yeah. But why is it that sometimes we're still jealous, we're still angry, we're still anxious? Why is it sometimes we're still depressed? Why is it sometimes we still curl up into a ball? Why do we still mourn and grieve and cry? Because I'm with a new covenant with Jesus. I get it. It's okay to be real. Even in a new covenant with Jesus, don't we still pray, Lord, send revival. Don't we still do it? I mean, we've got revival. All that he is, is manifest and living inside of us. But we still utter the words because sometimes we're just broken in amongst our promise, trying to work out, God, I know you told me it was going to be okay. I know you told me to step into this job. I know you told me to pray uh, to marry this person, but the wheels are falling off. Sometimes we have to command our souls to praise. Yeah. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that he is still on the throne. Yeah? Yeah, please do. There's a mic just there. No, no. Yeah. I'm just 
a few of you know that recently I've uh, started in a new job and it's looking really, really good. It's a really beautiful shape for me. Um, but very, very early into it, um, some on the prayer team being alerted to the fact that the guy who invited me in there really started to bully me, like really savagely. I was afraid to go to work, afraid for my life. Um, and um, uh, in that time, normally when I start out in the truck in the morning, I sing for the first hour. I've already, I'd already taught him, don't call me in the first hour. We often travel together in the trucks nearby. Don't call me in the first hour, we sing. Well, what do you do that for? You know, it's like, Good. I'm just singing. I love to sing, you know. And uh, within the middle of all that bullying, I was uh, preoccupied with the trouble that that all brought. And I wasn't singing. And it was a really beautiful part of the breakthrough, along with others here praying, that I started to begin each journey praising my God again. Yeah. Then we saw the breakthrough change completely. Amen. There's always a reason to sing, yeah? Um, we sing a song of praise because there's someone worthy to be praised. Not because of what we're going through, you know? We can see that there's this covenant of David, there's this promise. So for me, the fact that God made that promise, that tells me that God's concerned that there's going to be a throne on earth, yeah? God's involved in leadership, even when leadership doesn't seem to be working well. You know, I mean, if you think about it, the first 16 of the 17 Caesars around that era of the church were terrible leaders. Yet the Bible tells us at the same time that we're called to pray for our leaders. So... You know, this could be a stinging rebuke to someone that's watching, but I don't think it's right for us to insult our leaders. I don't believe that. We may have, you know, preferences, Labor, Liberal, Green... No, could possibly be Greens. Anyway, you know, we might have our, we might have our preferences. I've just... Okay, the front door's over there. Anyway, I've just offended somebody else that's walking out with their cat that they love because um, dogs are pets. Anyway... Uh, the point being, right, the point being, we, I don't think we're called to actually insult our leaders. We're called to pray for our leaders. Yeah? We're just called. I don't think we should be using bad language against our leaders. Whether you like ScoMo, whether you don't like ScoMo, whether you like Dan Andrews or don't like Dan Andrews, whether you like Dumbo or don't like Dumbo, because he and Dan Andrews have the same ears. But we're, you, we're not supposed... That was a funny joke, just by the way. You've got to picture it. But anyway... We're not supposed to. We're not supposed to insult. We're not supposed to do that stuff. Because you and I, we should always be keeping our dignity. We're Christians. We're believers. We're sons and daughters of God. You know? The encouragement and reason for praise is that there's a throne behind the throne. It doesn't matter how bad government is out there. There's a throne behind the throne. Verse 26 reads, right? He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my saviour. This is Ethan writing. Now, I'm telling you, Ethan's not calling out to David. Right? This is just a point for there's a throne behind the throne. He's not calling out to David, you know, our, our, our king. He's actually, he's actually calling out to a saviour. He's calling out to a God that still reigns, that still rules. Because he understands that there's a throne behind the throne. Yeah? There's a throne behind the throne. We need to jump back to verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth will I make your faithfulness known through all generations. So no matter what is happening all around me, there's always reason 
to pray. So I'm going to sing of his great love forever. That's what you and I do when we get together on a Sunday. Yeah? We're singing of his great love together. The beauty is we can sing of his great love in our car, in our home. We can do it in our work. We can change atmosphere. Ross just shared beautifully how, you know, when that circumstance happened, he stopped singing. But when the breakthrough began, you know, started to come was when he realized and he started to sing again because he changes the atmosphere. You change, I change. We change the atmosphere of the place that we're worshiping the King of Kings in. Yeah? Whether it's in our truck, whether it's in our home or our office or our toilet, yeah? It doesn't matter where you sing, where you praise God, he's still on the throne. So we praise him. You know, verse 2 says, I'll declare that your love stands firm forever. There's a firm foundation in the middle of the chaos. There's a throne behind the throne. And, and, and this, this is the scene that's set. And we praise him anyway, not because we want to be optimistic, but we praise him because our Father keeps his promises. Like he just does. We sang a song, and <laughs> as a worship team, there's always like, he's never failed us, yeah? Should we sing the word yet? Because he's never going to fail us, so it's not right. No, but it's saying that he hasn't failed us to this point, so it's still right. So that's why you hear some of us sing yet, and some of us don't sing yet, but the point is, right, that he's never failed us. Even up until this point. And if I was living in tomorrow, he still hasn't failed me up to this point. And even if I was living in next week, he still hasn't failed me up to this point. Yeah, he's faithful. This is why we praise him. You know, praise rests in the goodness and government of God. It doesn't matter what our government's like. We know that his government is true. You know, I love the fact that David would often find strength in the Lord. And David was often encouraged by the praises that were sung in Israel. Some of those praises were songs that he wrote. Some of those praises were songs that others wrote, and he would be encouraged and strengthened, and it didn't matter who wrote the songs. And I think it does our hearts good because it actually reminds us of who's in charge of the universe. You know, you've got to hear this. When we praise, it reminds us who's in charge of the universe. When we praise, it reminds us who's in charge of the situation we're going through. There is the flip side of that. If we do not pray, are we truly trusting and believing that God's in charge of what we're going through? Because I'm struggling to praise at the moment. But if we know that he's in charge, then why would we have an issue with praising? Yeah? It's easy to get discouraged with our government. It's really, you know, they bully, they divide, they lie, they, they, they abort, they want to get rid of marriage. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But we have to look at the government and governance of God. And if we do that, it changes the way that we see the human government. Because we don't despise it anymore and it doesn't control us anymore. You and I are believers. We need to stay classy in the fact that Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. Yeah? You know, when Festus, a powerful leader, he accused Paul of being crazy. Do you know what Paul did? Like this guy comes out and says, Paul, you're crazy. You're, you're a nutter. Like, no one should listen to anything you have to say. And Paul comes out with this beautiful response. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. No sarcasm. He's actually polite. 
He's actually polite. This guy calls him crazy and that. And he goes, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. Paul held him to his integrity, his class, because he knew that God would have his way. He trusted in the governance of God, not the governance of man. So praise recognizes the power of God. It recognizes the goodness of God. And praise is something that we do. We rejoice in the Lord with all of our heart. You know, praise is rejoicing. It's being happy in God. It's reminding ourselves of the true source of joy all the time. You know, you've seen pictures of developing nations, you know, African nations and, and stuff when they're worshipping and praising God. They go nuts, don't they? Like, and they worship. They, like, they, could, they could legitimately teach us how to worship, how to, how to praise. And this is why it's so hard for us in Western nations that have got so much. Because you know what? You really don't know what praise is until praise is all you've got. Yeah? That song, Gratitude, that we sing, you know, and I know it's not much, but I've <laughs> nothing else fit for a king except for my heart that sings hallelujah. You don't know what praise is until praise is all that you've got. Yeah? Oh, man. You know, there's so much of the world that tries to mute the church. And I'm not talking about its theology and its doctrines. It changes from this church to Rise Church to York Street. It changes in, in a heartbeat, you know, depending on who's leading or where their emphasis lies. Let's face it, as long as we've got Jesus, and as long as we know that he's a son of God, that he's, part, he's a triune God, that he rose from the dead, as long as we've got that in common, then we're, we're good to go, yeah? But so much of the church is, is, is called to be muted, yet we should be unmuted. So much of the church doesn't praise because men don't like to sing. <laughs> wow. Or we don't like these songs, we only like those songs. Man, don't let that stop you singing. When you get into the car, play the songs that you like. Ray and I, wherever Ray is, Ray, we joke all the time because he likes country and, and western, or I don't know what it's called. See, people laugh, right, because apparently there's a music that, that, that's called that, right? So, anyway, he likes that. So he goes, we should sing this song. Often he comes up, this is a beautiful song, sends it to my YouTube for church. Yeah, delete. <laughs> no, sometimes I have to move in leadership, Vicky, so, and make decision for the greater good of the church. The point is that, you know what, there should be nothing that should stop us singing. So if I go to Planet Shakers and they're jumping up and down and they're happy, I'm 52, I don't want to jump up and down and happy clap. When I stop jumping, parts of me are still going. Yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. But it doesn't stop me praising him because when I get into my car, I can put the stuff on that I like. But while I'm there, I'll praise like they praise. Because at the end of the day, 
You and I, we've got nothing else fit for the king except for a hallelujah, yeah? We've got one response, the lyrics. I love these lyrics. We've got one response. We've got just one move. With my arms stretched wide, I'll worship you. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, about this psalm, wrote this. What Ethan's son is a textbook for Christians. <laughs> he goes on to say, the psalm has a lot of trouble, but the presence of trouble didn't silence the psalmist's praise. He sang of God's mercies. We have not one, but many mercies to rejoice in and should therefore multiply the expressions of our thankfulness. Yeah. If we did a whole service that started and ended in worship, that is more than enough. If we never preached a sermon and sung worship and praise, that is more than enough. Yeah? We never had another communion would be really disappointing. And we just sang worship to him. That is still more than enough. The rest of it we do because we want to remember Jesus together. You know, we have a sermon because sometimes we can inspire one another to be more like him. But we have so much to be thankful for. You know, Matthew Henry says, we think that when we are in trouble, that we get ease by complaining, but we get more joy by praising. You and I need to top and tail our lives. It's even in smack in the middle of what we're going through. Because verse 52, the very last verse of that psalm, says this, Praise be to the Lord forever. Praise be to the Lord forever. So the question for us today is, will we unmute? For those of us that don't like to sing, for those that are listening at home, for those that think you're tone deaf, do you know, there's, there's a whole part of the psalm, and I can't even get there, there's... So much that, that I've, I feel like I've left out for today. But one of the verses actually talks about learning. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Acclaim is another word for praise. <laughs> In other words, we can teach each other how to praise. We can teach each other how to lift up God. We can teach each other how to sing. If you're tone deaf, stick a finger in your ear. Right, and then listen and listen and then match the two up together. It's probably the best way to do it. Or position yourself singing to the ceiling where people can't. But don't let it mute you. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it rob you. I've got a video that I want us to watch because my time's done. And then I'm just going to ask us if you could, um, I guess... Entertain's not the right word, but if you would just go with me and then we can sing that song together at the end. But I want you to capture why this song, Gratitude, was written by uh, Brandon Lake. Thanks, sir. Thank you. This is probably my favorite prayer 
probably what I should pray the most because I, when I look at my life, I have so much to be grateful for. If there's one emotion, it's definitely gratitude when I think of God and when I think of all the things that he's done for me. And I believe that's probably one of the most powerful prayers I could pray is just thank you. You know, but sometimes, you know, life's not easy and, you know, you go through some storms and hit some walls and you kind of have to remember, remind yourself and command your own soul to bless the Lord. Yeah. Command your own soul to say thank you when it's not easy. But I love that that's what he loves to hear is thank you. And hallelujah. And even if that's all I've got or all I have, I have to believe he loves that. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So if I could have the worship team up, please. And I know we sang it today. But I'm going to ask us to sing it again. <laughs> I'm going to ask us to step into a place of his presence where all our needs are met. To step into a place of his presence where it doesn't matter what news you've had this week. I spoke to someone earlier today who's just found out um, that their partner um, has, has, well, the doctor wants to see them, it could have cancer. Not sure if it's benign or malignant. You know, that news... We still have to be able to step into a place of praise. You know, I love Judy who's here, so I'll embarrass her. But I know the struggles that she's had since her, her back and hip surgery. But somehow, <laughs> she still finds the strength to step into a place of praise, to thank him. And you know what? If we can't do that, maybe we should rip the Christian badge off. Because if anything that makes us and sets us apart is one who loves Jesus, is one who can praise Jesus in the midst of our turmoil, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our confusion. And it's got nothing to do with our intellect. It's got nothing to do with what? Oh, if I could only just speak to them, I could teach them, I could help them. No, it's, it's bigger than that. It's I want to place myself at his feet. I want to bear my soul to my king. And I just want to tell him that I'm thankful that he's there. Because no matter what I go through, I've discovered the value of praise. Because you'll only discover that when praise is all that we have left. Amen. So if you're comfortable to come to the front and worship, do that. If you want to kneel, if you want to sit, if you want to lay down, I'm just asking you to consider worshipping him. Amen.